scripture reading for this morning is from Ecclesiastes 11. We'll be reading verse 7 and then through to chapter 12, verse 8. And that can be found on page 705 if your pew Bible is the same as mine. If not, it's after Proverbs, around the middle of the book, after Psalms. But uh, before we read God's word, let's come to him in a prayer for illumination. Guide us, O God, by your word and spirit, that in your light we may see light, in your truth find freedom, and in your will discover your peace. Through Jesus Christ our Lord. Amen. Ecclesiastes 11, starting at verse 7. Light is sweet, and it pleases the eyes to see the sun. However many years a man may live, let him enjoy them all. But let him remember the days of darkness, for there will be many. Everything to come is meaningless. Be happy, young man, while you are young, and let your heart give you joy in the days of your youth. Follow the ways of your heart, and whatever your eyes see, but know that for all these things God will bring you to judgment. So then, banish anxiety from your heart, and cast off the troubles of your body for youth and vigor are meaningless. Remember your creator in the days of your youth, before the days of trouble come, and the years approach when you will say, I find no pleasure in them, before the sun and the light and the moon and the stars grow dark, and the clouds return after the rain, when the keepers of the house tremble and the strong men stoop, when the grinders cease because they are few, and those looking through the windows grow dim, when the doors to the street are closed and the sound of grinding fades, when men rise up at the sound of birds, but all their songs grow faint, when men are afraid of heights and of dangers in the streets, when the almond tree blossoms and the grasshopper drags himself along and desire no longer is stirred, then man goes to his eternal home and mourners go about the streets. Remember him before the silver cord is severed or the golden bowl is broken, before the pitcher is shattered at the spring, or the wheel broken at the well, and the dust returns to the ground it came from, and the spirit returns to God who gave it. Meaningless, meaningless, says the teacher. Everything is meaningless. This is the word of the Lord. Before I uh, get into the main body of the sermon, I'd like to make a few comments about the book of Ecclesiastes in general, as it's um, a very interesting and sometimes challenging book to read. And so it's in the genre of scripture known as wisdom literature, uh, which is also includes the book of Proverbs, Job, and uh, Song of Songs. And it follows a person called the teacher as he searches out wisdom and considers some of the grand philosophical questions of life. And one of the great questions posed by scholars about this book is, who is this teacher? The teacher is introduced as the son of David, king in Jerusalem. And later on, he also claims to have grown in wisdom more than any other king. And these comments point us towards Solomon, who was David's son by Bathsheba and was the wisest man ever, according to scripture. 
Much ink has been spilt on the question of whether or not the teacher actually is Solomon or someone else claiming to be Solomon. Um, and I obviously don't know enough about the debate to make the final judgment on that. But um, I think it's reasonable to think that these words are words from Solomon that have been collected and put down later by a narrator who frames the teacher's words at the beginning and the end of the book. So the teacher leads us in this book through a sort of philosophical journey, full of twists and turns, revolving around the key refrain, which is translated in the NIV as, everything is meaningless, a chasing after the wind. The word here in Hebrew, translated as meaningless, literally means smoke or vapor, something that's impossible to grasp or understand. In his philosophical wanderings throughout the book, the teacher shows us that even the best human wisdom is unable to unravel the mysteries of life, and everyone must turn to God to find true wisdom and meaning in life. So with that in mind, people of God, imagine you are watching TV and a commercial comes on for Bud Light. Across the screen flash scenes of clearly branded cans and bottles being lifted out of a bucket of ice in slow motion. A group of relaxed and carefree 20 to 30 year olds are shown sitting together, talking and laughing in a bar watching sports. Everything about the commercial makes the drink look refreshing, appealing, and implicitly links Bud Light to the fun and exciting social life portrayed on screen. At the end of the commercial, if you listen closely, you can hear these words spoken aloud three times fast. Please enjoy responsibly. This subtle reminder is supposed to remind the consumer that drinking is not all fun and games, but can become a serious problem when done in excess. Excessive drinking can lead to addiction, impulsiveness, depression, financial problems, health problems, guilt, and broken relationships. The enjoyment and relaxation promised by the commercial must be tempered by an acknowledgement that irresponsible enjoyment can have dire consequences. In our text this morning, the teacher of Ecclesiastes presents a commercial for life. He encourages us to enjoy the good things God has given us, but also urges us to enjoy them responsibly. But unlike the popular commercials, the teacher in Ecclesiastes does not write, please enjoy responsibly, in tiny letters on the bottom of the screen but in bold letters, accompanied by a slideshow presentation about human decline and death. The teacher balances the call to remember and the call to rejoice in a careful and deliberate dance. The teacher balances these calls to rejoice and remember so carefully because he knows that the human tendency is to gravitate toward one or the other, toward the extreme pursuit of enjoyment without regard to morality on the one hand, or toward extreme self-denial of earthly pleasures on the other. Eat, drink, and be merry, for tomorrow we die, is a famous pagan response to the seeming meaninglessness of life that many wealthy and powerful people in the ancient world would have been drawn to. Some ancient Greek philosophers, like Epicurus, taught that the gods don't care about human affairs, that they do not reward or punish people after death, in fact, he believed that death was the end. He came to the conclusion, therefore, that the best way to live 
was through maximizing the pleasure you experience and minimizing the pain you experience. This philosophy is part of a wider body of thought, commonly referred to as hedonism. Even the teacher in Ecclesiastes, while following the wisdom of the world, came to a similar conclusion earlier in, that, in this book. Ecclesiastes 8, 14-15 reads, There is something else meaningless that occurs on earth. Righteous men who get what the wicked deserve, and wicked men who get what the righteous deserve. This too, I say, is meaningless. So I commend the enjoyment of life, because nothing is better for a man under the sun than to eat and drink and be glad. Then joy will accompany him in his work all the days of the life God has given him under the sun. Like Epicurus, the teacher seems to be saying that since there does not seem to be true justice in this life, God must not care, and people can live it up without fear of consistent judgment. When we look around at the world through our own wisdom and experience, without remembering God, the hedonistic lifestyle seems like an attractive way to live. However, the hedonistic lifestyle is ultimately unwise, because there is in fact a just God, who will one day judge every deed, even if we cannot always see where he is in our broken and fallen world. Rarely do hedonistic lifestyles bring any true satisfaction to the people living them. Pursuit of pleasure and goods leads to a desire for more and more, and it is often those who have the most who are least content with their possessions. When God is not remembered, the pleasures people run after serve merely as distractions from the fact that the possessions people have and the enjoyment they find will come to nothing in the end. The other extreme that people are drawn to is absolute self-denial. Some people believe that living a moral life requires renouncing all pleasures and earthly goods in order to avoid sinning. They condemn even the things that God has blessed people with, the things that he made good at creation. They focus on God's ju justice and vengeance without acknowledging his love. This leads them to excessive fear. Some extreme groups in the medieval monastic movement took this approach so far as to ban speaking or laughing in the monastery unless necessary, and even sometimes whipping themselves in penance. Rejoicing without remembering and remembering without rejoicing are both foolish and unsatisfying ways to live life as people of God. The teacher calls people to rejoice and remember against the dark backdrop of death. The teacher calls people to remember God specifically while they are young, before the days of trouble come and the years approach when they will say, I find no pleasure in them. The teacher gives the reader a detailed poetic picture of those days of trouble, adding a sense of urgency to their remembrance. The teacher offers all sorts of images that can be seen to represent physical decline and the end of life. The teacher describes the breakdown of a home or a state, and these descriptions are probably an allegory for the decline of the body. The keepers of the house and the strong men symbolize arms or legs that have become shapy, shaky and stooped with age. The grinders represent teeth that fall out and are no longer able to chew. 
Those looking through the windows are the eyes growing dim with age. Teacher then switches from metaphors to real examples and looks at aging people who sleep lightly and rise early, who are afraid of falling and are unable to defend themselves against dangers in the streets. Then he again begins another set of metaphors, this time from nature. The blossoming of the almond tree could refer to white hair, and the grasshopper dragging itself along is reminiscent of someone stooped over by age. Then, after all these things, people die. The teacher urges his readers to remember God before death and to rejoice before death. The teacher then gives his final refrain at the end of the passage. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Life and death appear meaningless unless one remembers and fears God. Remembering God while young gives people the opportunity to start living a wise life early and helps them avoid the pitfalls of folly. It's not that older people do not need to remember God. It is that remembering God is especially important in youth for establishing the fear of God that characterizes a wise life. The teacher's calls to rejoice and remember is also significant for us today. In our secular culture, we are told that life has no ultimate meaning. We're told we come from a random process without rhyme or reason. You can choose to create your own meaning, but it is ultimately subjective. And this type of outlook and the inevitability of death could lead us to either hedonism or extreme self-denial. For the most part, our culture has embraced the hedonistic outlook on life. We are implicitly and explicitly told that life has no grand design or meaning, and therefore the best way to live is to strive to create as happy and comfortable a life as possible for ourselves. The basis of our culture's morality is the principle that we can do whatever we want, if it feels good, as long as it does not directly and noticeably cause pain and suffering for others. We should be as unrestricted as possible in how we enjoy life. Pain and suffering is seen as the greatest evil, something to be avoided at all costs. Therefore, as a culture, we also avoid the reality of death. Perhaps you are struck by how much space and imagery Ecclesiastes uses to describe death and dying. The fact that we will all die someday is not a pleasant thought, and we tend to avoid talking about or thinking about it whenever we can. We are scared and confused when we think about what might happen after we die and where our eternal home might be. When we are forced to face death, we tend to put a silver lining on it. We label memorials as celebrations of life instead of funerals. We offer platitudes to those mourning, saying things like, he is in a better place or she isn't suffering anymore because we are uncomfortable with the pain and loss and don't know what else to say. We seek to move on as quickly as possible and distract ourselves by staying busy or drowning our sorrows in any type of temporary pleasure we can find. The amount of time and money people spend on entertainment and distractions so that they do not have to remember their mortality or ponder the deep and difficult questions about the meaning of life is baffling. As a society, and perhaps even as individuals, we should do a lot more remembering to balance out our empty rejoicing 
Or we might find ourselves in the days of trouble without a proper sense of meaning and with regret over how we have lived. Now, the teacher in Ecclesiastes is not trying to be a killjoy by telling his readers that they should remember God when they are young, before it is too late. He is giving a message of wisdom, gathered from his experience of life and his knowledge of God. God has made a beautiful and bountiful creation, and he has given his people room to enjoy it within appropriate bounds. God told Adam and Eve that they were welcome to enjoy the fruit of every tree in the garden, except the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. God is not stingy with his provision. There are so many things to rejoice over and celebrate in this world. God invites us to enjoy these blessings. God does not demand his people to live a life completely devoid of pleasure. God gives people all sorts of good things, like light and youth, and he also brings meaning and clarity to people's lives. In the last verses of the book, the narrator summarizes our passage and gives the conclusion to a book full of contradictions and cries of meaningless. Now all has been heard. Here is the conclusion of the matter. Fear God and keep his commands, for this is the whole duty of man. For God will bring every deed into judgment, including every hidden thing, whether it is good or evil. Even when we do not understand the mysteries of this life, God reveals himself to us. The key to wisdom, as Proverbs tells us, is the fear of the Lord. And it should come as no surprise that Ecclesiastes comes to the same conclusion. Though the world often seems contradictory and senseless to human understanding, God reveals himself in his word and equips his people with wisdom to find meaning and live with purpose in his kingdom. God invites us to come to him for wisdom. He invites us to enjoy the good things he has given us and invites us to worship and obey him as the foundation for a wise and fulfilling life. God gives good gifts to his children. He gives us space to enjoy all the blessings he provides. And he gives us the wise framework for life in his word. We cannot figure it all out on our own. Even the wise teacher cannot figure it out on his own. God reveals his love and grace by showing us the way, by taking us out of our foolishness and giving wisdom to his people. And even some of the what we would call restrictions God places on the actions of his people are for their good. We so often are like children who want to have ice cream and cookies for dinner or who refuse to sit in their car belted in. God comes to us like a parent who makes sure we eat our vegetables and safely secures us. God teaches us that a life of moderation is healthier than a life of eating everything you want. Helping others at our own expense has positive psychological and social benefits and tends to make us happier. Sure, we may suffer in many ways for the short term for remembering God and obeying his law, but we will often be better off in the long term than those who follow their every whim. God shows us the way to a more balanced and wise life. He shows us the way to both remember and rejoice. He tempers our pride and stubbornness and gives us blessings to rejoice in and hope and comfort in the dark days we face. He changes our hearts and lives by the power of the Holy Spirit, 
from the path of foolishness to the path of wisdom. The message of our text this morning gives us hope and reminds us of God's grace to us today. Whether we are young or old or anywhere in between, God gives us the means to live wisely in the knowledge of his love and providence through his word. Remembering that we will not live forever can help motivate us to seize the day and enjoy the moment we are in. Remembering God leads us to find and make meaning out of our lives and gives our lives direction. Remembering God gives us a response to the constant refrain in Ecclesiastes. Meaningless, meaningless. Everything is meaningless. Though everything may seem meaningless in itself, God's providence and plan can give meaning and purpose to anything and everything that we do. In everything that we do, we can glorify God. And when we do suffer for our faith, we can be confident that our suffering is not in vain. But what about those who are no longer young and who are already facing the days of darkness? Is there hope for them? Well, it's not clear what exactly the teacher thought happened after death. We know from the rest of scripture that God offers eternal life for all who believe in Jesus and trust him for their salvation. We have hope beyond the grave that we'll not only be judged, but also granted eternal life with God. Through this hope, God can also strengthen and encourage us during the days of darkness and trouble so that we do not despair. We do not earn this salvation by our pious acts or self-denial of the sinful pleasures our society elevates, but we trust and obey out of gratitude for God's many blessings. Things like light and youth, vigor, family, nature and food, technology and work, games and education, and so much more. We can obey in thankfulness for his salvation and the gift of eternal life. The days of darkness do not have the final say, because there will be a day of glorious light, when the earth will be renewed and restored, when our weary and broken bodies will be renewed, and we, with all God's people, will rejoice and remember that God is good. Let's pray. Lord God, we thank you for your word and the wisdom you provide for us in it. We pray that you will send your spirit so that we might recognize your gifts and find ways to rejoice in this dark and broken world. Give us the discernment to know how best to live for you all of our days. Amen.